0: Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema in the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, released in 1997. Takabe is a police detective, burdened by the world and the need to care for his mentally ill wife. He compartmentalizes home life and police life, the latter of which becomes a string of horrors as he investigates a series of gruesome murders. The victims have a common characteristic, a crudely carved X on their chests. Despite quickly capturing the killers, who seem to immediately confess, Takabe suspects there is a single link or a single man behind this chain of violence. Dread and atmosphere permeate this hypnotic piece of Japanese crime horror. Join Nate and me as we analyze the mind of Kiyoshi Kurosawa and his brainchild cure so nate uh this is a title that i've wanted to see for quite a while Uh, i I remember i think this was released on dvd under the the home vision entertainment banner a long time ago (laughs) There's a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I remember correctly, I may be remembering that wrong, um, but it was one of those titles that I noticed and, and just never really got around to seeing. And then when Criterion uh, put it out with this new 4K restoration, I thought, okay, it's it's finally time to, to visit this film because I've heard a lot about it, and it's it's really one of those Japanese horror films that seems to get thrown into the conversation with you know, films like Ringu and um, a lot of Japanese horror films that have actually seen American remakes. And so it, it just felt like a, um, a good opportunity to experience this and see if it's all it's cracked up to be. And and you being a more of a genre horror aficionado than I am, uh, I thought it would be good good fodder for conversation as well. So I, I'll just turn it over to you first, uh, just initial impressions of Cure.
1: Well, uh, thanks for your introduction there, because I was curious as to why you picked this movie, because uh, I know you're not a horror fan, and I know you love Japanese cinema and Japanese culture in general, so I mean, obviously I wasn't surprised by that. I'm going to come out clean and just say I had actually... Not seen this film. I had not known anything about it before watching it for our review. So it's a it's a film that had completely uh, missed my radar. Uh, so I I, po- I I watched it on the Criterion Channel uh, without any idea of what I was actually starting to watch. So I didn't look anything up on it. I did not have an idea of whether it was gonna be a, a horror film, a detective film. You know, the opening scene is uh, with Takabe's wife. Uh, she's in this uh, mental hospital, I guess you'd say, right, having this discussion about Bluebeard. Uh, and, you know, it's, it starts out this way. And I go, okay, so it's going to be kind of a, you know, maybe a uh, intricate drama about, you know, women's rights or something. I didn't have any idea what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> and then it switches over with this very interesting, upbeat uh, music that then uh, is played during a horrific murder and so I thought, am I watching like this weird kind of Tarantino-esque black comedy? What am I watching? But I will tell you this, I was hooked right away. I mean, I was I was definitely hooked with, I, mean, I think, the fact that I didn't know anything. So I was really trying to figure this film out. Uh, it obviously settles in very quickly into what it is. And so I then understood, okay, I'm watching a kind of psychological horror film Uh that I think is extremely well-crafted, well-made, um, but it was a surprise. I mean, it was a film that definitely caught me by surprise right away uh, and one that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, at every aspect of it. And I'm grateful that unlike Ringu or other uh, Japanese horror films of this era, it did not get an American remake. I, I had assumed the American remake would have been absolutely awful. So I'm, I'm thrilled that that has not happened as of this uh, podcast being recorded.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that it hasn't happened. Uh, Now that I I think about it, it's something you would have expected to occur by now because, yeah, this is a film that does come up a lot in conversations about Japanese horror and it was a real watershed moment for uh, Kurosawa's career and no relation to Akira Kurosawa, uh, just to to clarify that. He's kind of considered to be the, um, they call him the David Cronenberg of Japanese cinema. And you can maybe see some of some of those early indications in this film, uh, but yeah, there, there's I think there's a lot to talk about here. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I really enjoyed this film too. And I, you're right to say I'm usually not a fan of horror, but this isn't really it doesn't really fall into the definition of horror for me. I guess <laughs> whenever you like a horror
1: film, you just decide it's not a horror film. Got it? <laughs> <laughs> the Shining, not a horror film, right?
0: well halloween not a horror film (laughs) (laughs) cure not a horror film (laughs) it's but maybe my definition is skewed but yeah i guess i I guess i kind of do that don't i uh okay it's a horror film uh we, we we can just say that but it it's definitely more psychological horror it's not gore for the sake of gore it's it has shocking moments, but it's it's very much a, a film that gets underneath your skin, and it's really about the mood, the atmosphere, this really overwhelming sense of dread throughout the picture. Uh, and it, I mean, let's go back to that opening scene because you mentioned that, and and the musical choice during that opening is very unusual, right? And it does throw you for a loop, and it does seem very intentional. That Kurosawa wants to sort of confuse the audience in terms of what they're seeing, what they're expecting, even how the the credits kind of, you know, the title kind of zooms into the frame over this very stock Columbo esque shot of our main character in in the very typical beige trench coat that we expect every detective to be in just how it's handled uh evokes old tv serials i I mean there's a lot that really kind of comes to the forefront in that little opening sequence and and i I think it's a real interesting way to start this movie and the rest of the movie is not like that opening at all right i mean there's really no uh sort of tongue-in-cheek element throughout the, the rest of the picture so it's it's a very unique way to open. Uh, any other thoughts on the opening beyond what you said?
1: No, I think it it plays well with the the themes that will emerge, and that so that that piece it's actually available to listen to on YouTube if anybody wants to. It's called Animal Magnetism. Uh, I went and looked it up because it's so catchy that that little bit of music there. It's about maybe ninety seconds or hundred hundred seconds of, of music that's really just. Not what you would expect in this movie, right? Uh, if i if I just played it to somebody out of context, you'd think it was, I don't know, like a couple of happy old guys playing an accordion or something. I mean, it's just it yeah. doesn't feel like anything that belong in a film that's this unnerving and this this um psychologically dense., uh, you know, so I mean, it's it's a very interesting piece. Uh, but I think that it has when you listen to the music on its own it does have that kind of hypnotic quality that it's sort of segueing into for what things will come up later on in the film. I think that's what I love about this movie is that it really takes the idea of, of hypnotism seriously. I mean, I guess we're getting a little bit into the plot in the sense that these, these murders that are being committed by other people, uh, or I should say by different people, are fundamentally the work of a single man who has hypnotized people, Takabe has suspicious suspicions of this, uh, and then uh, he discovers that it is this uh, single the single person, uh, which I guess we can talk about the character of Mamiya uh, and uh, what is his what is he I guess is a, is, a, is a, maybe a fair question to ask. About that, but uh, at least according to what's said in the plot, he is a former uh, psychology student that got into mesmerism and hypnosis, uh, must have been kind of an expert and genius on it, and then that he has um, now uh, been able to quickly hypnotize people and implant in them the idea of killing another human being in this ritualistic fashion. Uh, but the film itself plays through its sounds, through its it's framing, through all of these different things, a kind of hypnosis on us as the audience, too, right? I think there is a kind of meta quality in how Kurosawa is setting up his storytelling. That little ambient noises, for example, in different scenes that kind of make it... Like, no two scenes are identical. They're not... Uh, I mean, they're. I should say, no two scenes are clearly separate from another, uh, they're distinct, I know where they are, but at the same time, some of the ambiance, the background noise, the white noise is very similar from one setting to another. So you kind of get lost in it in a way that you wouldn't necessarily always in a, in a movie, right? Uh, so he's kind of almost playing a hypnotism on us and drawing us in just like Mamiya does for the victims, right? The, the people he will hypnotize, right? He draws them in slowly, surely, and then he he uh, kind of controls them, right? So I I think it's a very fascinating, fascinating film uh, on that level, just of trying to even make a commentary on filmmaking itself.
0: Yeah, the sound design is is instrumental in this film, and, and it's very subtle, right? And and the score and the ambient. Um, noise and the sound mix kind of work hand in hand in this interesting way. Uh, a lot of scenes have this very droning sort of room tone throughout. And at first it feels like it could be just organic. I mean, we, we talk about diegetic or non-diegetic sound pretty frequently on this podcast. And and it it has a weird effect because you do start to notice it, and, and you do start to be unnerved by it. And even even in his apartment, there's kind of this droning noise that we hear, right? And it's like, is that the washing machine? Is that the dryer? Like, what are we hearing here? Is that a, um, a heater? Or, we don't really know. It, it, it's just this kind of undercurrent of tension that reflects his home life and, and the stresses that he's facing there, caring for his wife, but also out in the world, um, just the stress of working on this murder investigation. So there's sort of this, this through line with the sound design and the score that, that's pretty interesting. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a huge part of creating that, that sense of dread that, that becomes so effective in this film. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, I think that you know, the, the point you made earlier about this being very much a suspenseful sort of psychological film is a part of why it's such an effective horror film. You know, it's it does have some pretty brutal images in it. It does have some striking... I mean, I'm thinking of that scene where the one doctor has been hypnotized uh, and kills a man in a, a public bathroom and then actually starts peeling off his skin, right? I mean, it's it has some gory graphic moments, but they're spare. Uh, and they, you know, the old saying that suspense scares gore disgusts, I think is very well understood here that the film really wants to build that tension through sound, through pacing, through... I mean, one of the things also that was very striking was just how long each shot lasts and how you really don't get a chance to look away or cut away. I mean, this was made 25 years ago now, right? Uh, And so it was not as hyperkinetic of a time period for filmmaking as it is now in terms of editing. But you did a lot more shot, reverse shot, than what you have in this movie, right? There's a lot of... Scenes that are just playing out with two actors interacting with one another and the film, you know, the camera refra- reframes the shot every now and again, right? It just keeps going and going and going. And it's really kind of impressive. But I think eventually overall that, that sense of almost an unrelenting exchange between the characters starts to unnerve you as well as you're watching this film and really draw you into trying to figure out what the hell is actually going on here.
0: Well, it really sets the tone from the beginning, right? I mean, the, the first murder that we see is so sudden and kind of matter-of-fact and not not glorified in any way through the filmmaking or through the editing or sensationalized in any way. It's just the static, wide shot. And that approach is really kind of used throughout the film. So anytime we see a shot like that, it builds the tension just by the choice of that shot, right? It's like, okay, we're expecting violence. I mean, I, I was thinking that um, about the, the scene on the beach there when we see um, Amia, uh talking with one of the early uh, victims or, I mean, one of the people he, that he hypnotizes into committing murder early in the film. And that scene on the beach, you really expect something violent to occur there, right? And it's just this meandering kind of wide shot, and he's walking up to the other man and walking away from him and walking up to him again. And, and it's, it's so effective because we've seen that initial act of violence. And I, I think we should talk about how this film handles violence in general and and gore. You mentioned that, you know, there's kind of these little moments of gore and they're never, uh, they're never gratuitous and, but they make an impact and part of it is, well, you know, maybe the makeup isn't the best, so they want to cut away from it sooner rather than later, but, uh, it's still effective to do it that way because you've seen enough to be impacted by it and your brain kind of fills in the rest that maybe you didn't you didn't see, but you, you kind of think that you saw it. So that, that sort of device is, is pretty effective here too. But, but just the way it treats violence, it's very methodical about it. It's very matter of fact. Uh, and and so much of it plays out in these flat wide shots. I mean, I think about the police station murder too is another one. And that's a pretty consistent device throughout the film. Yeah, that,
1: that device of the kind of a master shot, like you say, where it's just flat, motionless, watching yeah. this violent act from afar, is an effective device, and many films have made use of it, and I think what's effective about it is the fact that it it gives a sense of powerlessness to us as the audience. We're not really experiencing the violence viscerally, right? When you go into close-ups, when you have a handheld camera, I mean, you, you almost feel like a participant, like whether you're defending or you're attacking, you know, you depending on how the the scene is, but you feel like you're acting. Uh when you kind of go in close in a scene of violence, when you pull far back, when you just stay away and you watch it from afar, you can't do anything, right? We we can't stop it, we can't we can't change anything of, of what's being depicted there and it it really reinforces for that you for you as the audience. And with this particular film, I think that's actually extremely important because that's really what the film's getting about. I think the film thematically is really raising questions of of freedom, of f- human freedom, free will, right? And it's it's asking questions about identity, right? Uh, Mamiya has regularly kind of asked the question, who are you, tell me about yourself, right? So the more he can learn about someone, the more he can kind of uh, enroll and enlist and, and them into his purposes. We don't really know anything about him, of course, and you get the sense almost he doesn't, it's, it's unclear how much he does or doesn't understand about himself at this point. Uh, I mean, I think we obviously understand he knows what he's doing, but it doesn't seem like he necessarily has a complete understanding of why he's doing it. At least I don't know that the film's saying that. We have a clear sense of a motive here. Um, it could be he was himself hypnotized and now this is something he's doing, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's very ambiguous in some of those things, but it really does – I think what makes it so scary is the idea that what if your free will could be co-opted? You're still acting. You're still doing things, but you don't know it. You don't understand it. You have memory of it. You kind of are aware of it and – you know the 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 psychologist that's worked with Takabe. Uh, I think it's Sakuma. I think is the name of the of the character. Uh, he he himself talks about how well you, you could never induce somebody to to murder unless they wanted to mm-hmm. murder. Uh, so is this a, a sense that like well he's tapping into Mammya is tap, tapping into some deep unknown desire on people's part. Or is he just so embedding into them this pattern that they'll do this no matter what? I mean, it's just, it's very complex. And I think that's what I find so haunting about this film. Having seen it uh, and having it, you know, been now a couple of days since I watched it, it still is lingering in my mind because it really does raise that interesting question and that really terrifying question about what if someone could actually co-opt your own free will, right? And you no longer have a, an internal freedom. That's, I think... The real horror here, and that's the question that's really being raised in this particular story.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. I mean, uh, Mamiya's character just feels like a force of nature in a way. Just feels like an embodiment of evil more than a character. And and you're right to say that we don't really know what his history is. We don't know if he knows what his history is. Uh, we don't know if, if he yeah, has been co-opted himself in some way and, and the, the psychiatrist friend, you know, talking about the fact that, well, his theory anyway, that someone can't be coerced in doing something unless they really want to do it themselves. Thematically, that just sort of speaks to a larger issue of, you know, as a human being, do we all, we're all capable of doing horrible things, right? And, and it's, Sometimes you know, it's a question of the frightening question of if you're presented with the right set of circumstances, would you do that horrible thing? And I, I think the film is kind of getting at that as well. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a terrifying idea and it's something that is, I think depicted very effectively here. Um, the, the other aspect of it, I mean, since we're kind of talking about the hypnosis um, component of this film, you know at, at first I, I was a little bit like, "Oh, you know, that's that's it. We're going we're going down that road of <laughs> of hypnosis." <laughs> and and some of those early scenes with Mamiya sort of doing his thing, right, in terms of hypnotizing people, didn't seem terribly convincing or compelling to say, like, oh, interesting." Okay, okay you know he's he's really turning the screws on this person so to speak but eventually it becomes more effective as the film goes along it was a weird thing uh at first it felt to me like a bit of a cheap device and then and then i understood you know why they were using that how they were using it and it became more effective in that way um it's It's interesting because the film itself starts to become more surreal, right? And become more abstract. And there almost seems to be a line in the sand, so to speak, where we as the audience don't really know what's real or what isn't anymore in this film. Mm -hmm. And that that was something that I, I was eager to discuss because the first real kind of surrealist moment that I noticed anyway was when uh, Takabe is like sitting in the car and these images start flashing. I almost thought there was something wrong with the transfer <laughs> for a second <laughs> or, or something wrong with the video because it, it was so out of place and so different from anything else you'd seen in the film. And and that was really this moment of forcing the audience to question what's going on. And then we, we start to get into these very clear sort of dream sequences with him and his wife on this bus, clearly a green screen or blue screen sort of process shot with the clouds in the background. And and even these shots of him in the back of a police car sort of surrounded in fog. And it, it looks very, very artificial, right? Almost intentionally so that, that it's very clear that this is just a car that's locked off somewhere and they're, and they're shooting it and, and the driver's, you know, kind of doing the, the obligatory moving the steer steering wheel back and forth a little bit to make it look <laughs> like he's driving. And it's almost comedic how fake it looks, but then you realize that, okay, this is intentional, or at least, at least I felt like this was really intentional. I got uh, the same sense. Yeah. Yeah. To, to amp up that sense of surrealism and to really make you question what real and what isn't, or what is real and and, and what is uh, imagined. So it, just your thoughts on that that portion of the film when that transition occurs and you know how effective you felt that was
1: well first i think you said the you you made a point about the first time i noticed right uh mm-hmm. so obviously that's we have those clear non-linear edits start to emerge you, know, you really do get a little taken out because it is so contrary to what we'd seen before but it was also one of those things as the film kept progressing i started wondering well was that stuff happening beforehand, and I just didn't pick up on it? Yeah, you know, it's it's a film that I really think repeat viewings will give new insights to it. Uh, For sure. Some films you can just sense right away. This is a film but I'm going to come back and visit over and over again. And Cure is one of those films. I I see myself coming back to it pretty frequently. Actually, um, I don't know what that says about me.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm so, glad. I'm glad you liked it so much. That's good. Usually, the things but, I pick are uh, <laughs> are met with um, not as much enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that you picked a horror film. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to hypnotize you into taking more tr- uh, trips into <laughs> horror uh, well, by if, saying if how much I like more, this film.
0: Yeah, if there are more <laughs> horror films like this, I think I'd be more open to the genre. <laughs> um, so, no, I think. Yeah, your your point about the
1: the artificiality, the surrealism that starts to emerge. I mean, hypnosis obviously is I'm you know greatly exaggerated here in terms yeah. of the the ability to do it. And I mean, basically all he has to do is use a Zippo lighter uh, to hypnotize somebody or to kind of point out to them like water. I mean, that's not really how it works, right? It's it, so it's 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 kind of a with a throwaway line of dialogue said, well, I guess if you're a real genius, you you could do it real fast or something, you know? So they kind of create within their own internal logic uh, excuse that allows me to go with it. I think as long as they're true to the rules they establish in this kind of thing, you just say, I have to accept it. And I have to kind of say this is how it's going to work. So that's why actually, the early hypnosis scenes, I didn't find bad because I think partly because, uh, Uh, Masato Hagawawa Hagawa, is that how you pronounce his name?
0: Yeah uh, Close enough
1: Okay, yeah, sorry, I I don't speak Japanese Uh, But, I mean, his performance As Mamiya is, I think Very Very effective because it's So, I mean, you're trying to Figure out, is this guy, like, on drugs? Is he mentally Unstable? Is he Doing an act? Is this you know? You just don't know, right? So because you're so drawn into trying to figure him out, I guess I can kind of go with why other people try to figure him out, and that creates this world of hypnosis in me as a viewer that I can kind of jump into it real quickly, and then you start saying, okay, as I'm watching this film and I'm trying to understand what's happening here, because I really didn't necessarily feel like I had a real grasp on what was going on, not in a bad way, you know, I, I I never felt like the the filmmakers didn't know what they were doing. Uh, the Kurosawa didn't know what he was doing in his direction or his writing. Uh, but it felt to me like this is a film where I'm behind the eight ball. And so with the question of what's real, what's not real, uh, it felt like really you got into the head of Takabe, right? I mean, he starts to kind of question what's real, what's not real, and how does he make sense of anything that's taking place around him, what conversations are or aren't taking place. And I think the effect that that has on us in the film, Film, uh, or actually, in the audience watching the film, is that it really creates almost, uh, like I said earlier on, that it, this meta quality, which is that, of course, none of this is really happening, but it is all impacting us, right? And I think this is something that is a, it's a moral point that movies need to wrestle with, and not every filmmaker does a good job of wrestling with it, which is that what we put into a screen will impact the audience in ways that we can't always predict or control. And the blind, the blending of reality and, and fantasy in filmmaking itself can have profound implications for people. And the film kind of, I think starts to become, maybe I'm reading, maybe this was not Kurosawa's intention. Maybe I'm reading into it something he didn't put into it, but it starts to take on a kind of commentary on the, art form of cinema and to really force you to reckon with how it is that movies impact you and what implications does that have for real world actions that we may take or not take i don't know maybe that maybe that, maybe i'm overreading
0: it but i seem to think that's there well whether or not that was intended i think the fact that that comes through is significant and and there's I think a real sense of awareness of film history in this picture too. I mean, there's, there's some Hitchcockian imagery going on here.
1: Yeah. Pulling the the curtain, like the shower scene.
0: Out yeah. Of the de- yeah. Definitely. Uh, some callbacks to psycho uh, in particular, but, but just the whole, um, you know, Hitchcock was always very interested in the idea of identity, I think. and, and, Multiple personalities and and sort of these these split realities and and this film uh, speaks to that as well and uh, that's one thing that Mamiya brings up which is interesting. One of the many conversations he has with Takabe is, you know, he asks him, "Who is he? Is he the detective? Is he uh, the caretaker husband? Is he neither of those? You know, is his true self neither of those identities?" and and that's that's an interesting question, you know, this this idea that everybody we know in our life to some extent knows a different version of us, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way, every relationship you have uh, is a different version of yourself from the standpoint of how others may or may not perceive you. You know, you, you may be consistent in terms of how you present yourself or how you treat other people but it's always going to be through the filter of someone else's experiences and and the details they may notice or may not notice so I, I thought that idea was interesting as well and and it it really speaks to the you know the, the film's fascination with not only hypnosis but just the practice of psychiatry and and the diagnoses therein you know the fact that takabi's wife is dealing with mental illness is not um insignificant either and and from the first shot of the film in this very brightly lit hospital setting there's uh there's really a tone being set there as well that okay our main character is constantly surrounded by the tension that comes with you know dealing with mental illness uh with his wife or with a family member uh and and how that affects him personally too so it, it's it's a complicated film i think thematically um and takabi's uh the performance by uh koji yakusho Yos- excuse me koji yakusho i think that's that's his name is really good here, right? I mean, I, I I don't want to ignore his performance either. You know, we talked about um, Mamiya and how, how effective his character is, but Takabe, you know, his character is very much the standard hard-boiled detective from the beginning. He His character doesn't seem to really be there in the beginning. He just, he's kind of walking around. He's looking at things. He's sort of asking questions. He seems a bit disconnected with what's going on he seems like someone who's experienced and knows what to filter out and what to focus on. But it's not really until the film progresses that he starts to show more emotion and we start to learn more about his situation and his background. And, and he becomes an extremely emotional character. Uh, and it's, it's pretty stark contrast to where he starts in the film. And it's, it's not so much a character arc, I think, as it is, his encounter with Mamiya is sort of revealing who he is, right? I mean, I, again, that goes back to the question uh, that I was bringing up before in terms of this idea of multiple identities. So that, I think there's a, an interesting performance quality there that's very effective.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, Koji Yakusho was very good as Takabe, and I think he you're right that he starts out fairly nondescript, I mean, he doesn't come across as anything other than your generic cop, uh, hard-boiled detective. Although I think the the inclusion of the starting the story, actually, with the wife kind of creates a, a different arc in his character, or at least gives us a certain flavor for him, because it doesn't start right away with a crime. It starts with mental illness uh, you know, and, and the question of sanity, um, and I think that that tension follows into how we will interpret him. Uh, and as we see it unravel later in the film, it all makes sense to us, right? Uh, if you had had that be, you know, start with the detective coming to the crime scene and I'm, you know, being like Mr. Um, oh, uh, you know, like uh, Vincent Hanna in heat. Right. And where I know it all and I've seen it all. I think that the later on development of, Oh, well, he has a wife that's sick and that's kind of making him, very tired and he run down and he's trying to find the right balance, right? I think you wouldn't be as convinced of that, but having started first with that and having that shape everything else that we see really helps to sell his character uh, and give Yakusho's performance uh, a lot of weight. Uh, So sometimes just a simple structural point like that can make a profound difference in how a movie works, right? Uh, But I think that the way Takabe's character progresses, it, it's one of those things where I, I truly wasn't sure what he was gonna wind up doing, right? I yeah. mean, or or you know, really how it was all gonna play out. I mean and, you know, there's there's obviously some ambiguity of whether or not he winds up ever being hypnotized or not. I I think it's leaning towards telling you he was hypnotized, but when? There's a couple spots where it could have happened, or could have maybe it happened throughout. He slowly but surely over all this, you know, he was he definitely seems to be much more resistant to Mamiya than uh, than everybody else seems to be, right? Uh, but it just strikes me as a very fascinating portrayal of a man who seems to have some real, true anger and conflicts within his own self, and those. I mean, ultimately, those seem to be the things that uh, Mamiya is able to able to try to exploit to bring him down, shall we say, uh, or otherwise maybe to pass on whatever this thing that's in in Mamiya himself is passed on to Takabe by the end of the film. It's I'm not sure I guess I'll be curious to hear, Matt, how do you interpret the ending of this movie?
0: Yeah, it's a tough tough question. I I, I was thinking about that because I would agree with you. This is a film that really begs for repeat viewings because I I, I really am not sure where that line can be drawn in terms of when is he hypnotized, when is he not, or is he even hypnotized? I, I think he is. I mean, I think the film is pretty clearly saying that he is at the end of the film. Uh, the scene where he's in the diner is really sort of the instrumental moment at the end, right? And, and he, his demeanor seems very different in that scene. He seems very energetic, almost at peace in a way. He, he's not as haggard, not as run down. He's wearing a nicer suit, right? Um, he finishes his meal. He asks for coffee. You know, we see earlier in the film like he barely ate his meal before, and the wait the waiter came to take it away, right? So little details like that are there. Like at the end, this seems like a, a man who has it together and is satisfied, um, which feels wrong, right? <laughs> well, especially considering that we know
1: uh, that his wife has been murdered,
0: right? It's immediately so, after that that horrendous, you know, flash of seeing her body, right? Right. And, and all of a sudden, here he is contented in this diner. And immediately the question is, okay, did he commit this murder? right? Or is he acting this way because he's free of the burden of taking care of his wife? Like, what, what is happening here? right? And, and these are all questions that are really unanswered. But the fact that the waitress, we follow her in that long, wide shot, and she picks up a knife, and that's it. Right, spoilers <laughs> uh, implies that you know, you know that he is passing this on to her now, right? Right, uh, and who knows? Or maybe, maybe she, she just picked, picked up a knife. She just picked up a knife to take right. it back to be washed or something. We don't know, yep. but it, it it the choice of the type of knife though. It's like it's like a you know a butcher's knife. It's not just like a table knife or something. The
1: kind of thing you'd see in a horror film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very intentional choice. The type of knife. She picks up it's it's yeah it's meant to be the slasher film sort of knife and, and I think Kurosa was very, very clearly telling us that this evil is is gonna go on and and the, that's the way I interpreted it, yeah you know it's interesting because any any kind of murder mystery set in Japan always has kind of a layer of complexity to it just from a cultural standpoint, because violent crime is so rare in Japan, right? I mean, gun violence is pretty much non-existent. I mean, mostly because the gun laws are very, very strict. When violent acts do occur, they, they tend to be knife attacks, right? You know, you hear about that uh, periodically, but in general violent crime is just not, not something that occurs very often. And, and that this film doesn't really seem to recognize that in a way i I mean the the detectives are acting like, "Oh, it's another murder, you know it's just one of many, many uh, murders that we deal with, uh, which I suppose in the context of, of a crime film or a horror film, you just have to sort of go with that, but it, it well, I would mean have been Tokyo interesting. is a big Tokyo is a
1: big city, so I suppose if this is your job, you know, it's probably not like a job, like the, a murder cop in Chicago, but I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's what they do. Right. So, but I agree it, with you. It does strike me as, uh, this is why I'm, so, I'm sort of surprised it hasn't been made as a, an American remake because it yeah. just so much of this idea of like the serial killer element, right. It's just like leaps off the screen as if it's America. Right. Um, and yeah, the, the even the way they they talk about how they're not revealing anything so that they can try to see how they can figure this out, right? I mean, it just seems like yep, they've done this before. Where I I would assume this is a case like none other. <laughs> you know,
0: that's the thing. That you would, I, I you wish... really
1: wouldn't know what how to handle
0: some of this stuff. Yeah, right? I, I, it could I wish have had the film... some more of that. Exactly. I wish the film treated the case a little more accurately in that regard. That that maybe these detectives were sort of in over their heads, right? They're just, they just haven't been confronted with a situation like this. And that would have added maybe an ex- extra dimension that I think would have been interesting, but maybe that would have been a distraction ultimately. But uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, I mean, wh- what did you think about the ending or your inter- interpretation of the ending? Well, I think, obviously,
1: I mean, they want to plant and leave you with the idea that maybe he's been hypnotized and this is happening. They also don't want to make it too explicit. Yeah, so it's not telling you 100% one thing or the other, but if you're, especially based on just the way the closing credit crawl works, where there's yeah. these unseen slices going through the credits, right? I mean, it just strikes me that that's in of itself an important detail. I mean, I get the movie's done uh, at that point, but it just, that's a purposeful decision, right? Uh, the, almost like this idea of an invisible, unseeable, force cutting through everything still, right? So it does strike me that we should interpret that a hypnotism took place. How or when? We don't know. Uh again, even that question of reality. I mean, you know the the wife's murder takes place, so it seems, right? In her uh the the facility she's being kept in. But how? When? We don't know. I mean there's no setup for it. There's nothing to indicate it. Is that real? Did it happen? Is it in his head? Is it, you know, I mean, because obviously he's he's wanting on some level liberation from his wife. So is it just in his head that she died? Or is it not in his head? I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things like that where, at least just on one watching of the film, I can't say that I have firm commitments to what I think it is. But I would say hunches that he is himself hypnotized and now has become a murderer. Uh, but again... Is he? Can we rightly say he's a murderer if he's been hypnotized?
0: Yeah, that's a complicated question. So, right. I mean...
1: That'd actually be... It. That, see, that's one area I think that would have been interesting in a film. And again, I guess I'm always thinking this from an American perspective because that's the criminal justice system that I would know. But just, you know, like, how would you handle this, you know, like with withholding and detaining somebody and the the scene where all the police are, are talking to... Mommy, uh, he's you know, being uh, arraigned, I guess you'd say, right? But, you know, it's what exactly is the crime he's committed? How do you charge a man for this? You know, something's up. But uh, that, for me, would also be a very fascinating subplot if you're going to make this into a film in the U.S. or a Netflix miniseries or something. You could do some interesting things with that as well, uh, which does kind of get missed in the detail. That being said, I mean, I think it's very effective, and thankfully, it isn't too long. All these things we're talking about would add time. Uh, yeah. And maybe the, the impact of the film gets lessened by being longer that way. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's probably unnecessary and probably would have diluted things a bit too much. I mean, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot open to interpretation at the end. I mean, I, I don't think there's one no right answer. Uh, it's very hard to know what's real, what isn't. But what's interesting is that the film stays grounded enough that it doesn't become too confusing to the audience. I mean, it's very easy when you start playing with reality like this to become so muddled and so confusing that you sort of lose your audience. And this film manages to just kind of pepper in the right amount of ambiguity uh, throughout the second half of the film, in particular, to still keep us grounded, but to to make us question, and that that's a tough balance to strike. I mean, it may it may seem like it isn't, but I, I think from from a standpoint of editing, uh, that that w- that's a challenging thing to achieve effectively. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think it, it really is a part of the filmmaking that really. Helps because none of it's being telegraphed, right? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of other people would telegraph. I'm being ambiguous, or is this real or is this not real? I mean, the, the point of like, well, at some point we do start to realize you got to question this, but we also can't say like, well, shoot, am I behind? You know, should I been questioning things earlier? I mean, that that's I think also really a, a great skill of Kurosawa's direction, but also the the cinematography, right the the fact that the the film seems to be very much aware of what's happening beyond the frame, right? Uh, the camera pans a lot, right? It, it it kind of follows action and then comes back, and so it's 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 reminding you there's more going on than what we're seeing, right? It just simple choices like that are really, I think, important for achieving what you talked about there, right? Uh, so that the ambiguity seems earned, not just sort of a. Um, I mean, we've all seen the movie where. There's the the twist ending that you go, oh, that that's impossible, right? It, it it blows so many plot holes open that you can't even hold the story anymore, right? Or we've all seen the film that's that's so into how cool it is to come up with the conceit uh that it ultimately kind of just annoys you, right? This thing's just subtle. And I think that's what it is makes it so effective is the fact that it it really doesn't advertise itself. It just other than that, that very interesting piece of music. There's nothing that really says "pay attention to what I'm doing." That's the one thing that seems to do it. And even then, by the time the movie's done, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell they did that for. Other than <laughs> it just really is an interesting choice, right? I mean, it's it, it. Even then, you kind of go, "Why did they choose that piece of music to kick things off there?"
0: I don't know. I, I think they're telling you to expect the unexpected. I guess that, that, that's kind of what I took from it. Uh, and the, I think even to stress some of the incongruity, right?
1: I mean, yeah. the, I mean, just the fact that somebody would be k- killing somebody without necessarily knowing, understanding, or having a motive, and having been potentially, you know, duped into this through forces beyond them, right? I think all of that is also part of what's captured in that opening scene. Mm-hmm. I should not say opening scene. I guess I should say opening murder.
0: But- yeah 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 it's it's an interesting choice for sure and it's just it's just a very effective film the imagery i mean the cinematography you mentioned there's some pretty powerful imagery here i mean that that's large sort of wooden i don't know if it's an abandoned hospital or what it is uh toward the end there it's really striking visually i mean it's just the production design there i mean it looks like a found location or something right and and you have that those few process opticals in the bus or whatever but clearly this is not there's no CGI in this film or anything like that it's just in camera uh, well well lit moody cinematography and, and, and you're right the camera movement is very fluid, almost invisible in a way, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a lot of these longer takes, reframing as the, as the take goes Uh, fairly sophisticated kind of dolly shots and it's interesting because it's it's not showy but it's it's effective and the fact that they do play out in these longer shots uh, draws you in 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 a way that is unsettling and
1: i also just want to give some a lot of it's i maybe all of it is just location shooting i don't know maybe there's some stuff that's in a set but Every single location seems perfectly chosen, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems a little rundown. The you know, I'm thinking about that that scene in the basement of the hospital when Takabe is trying to hunt down and find Mamiya. In that moment, uh, it's it's interesting, you know, just how dilapidated everything seems, right? And um, you know, Tokyo is a really bustling city, right? It's 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 got a lot of very high class, high tech stuff. And you watch this, you think you're, you're kind of watching, I don't know, like a, a bombed out uh, kind of urban war zone or something like that. I mean, just everything looks so kind of worn down. And that effect also seems to have the subtle way of just kind of the, the, the heaviness of, of what is going on here, right? Just some of those choices they do with that is I think extremely important too.
0: Well, any closing thoughts, I mean, before we talk about Criterion's release? I think we're both fans of this film.
1: Uh, I, I would say, I mean, to me, I, I don't have the Blu-ray, but I'm planning to get it.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> I know it's on it. the
1: Criterion channel right now, but uh, like, I don't want to not have it. I, wa- I, I want the physical copy.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned it's on the Criterion channel. It is one of their Criterion editions on there, so it has all the extra material available. Surprise, surprise, I didn't get through the extra material. But uh, Criterion's release does have that new 4K restoration that I mentioned earlier. Um, The transfer looks beautiful. I mean, it's really a great, great transfer. Uh, Too bad that they didn't put it on a 4K disc, but I'm sure the Blu-ray looks good. It has, looks like basically a bunch of interviews. There's a conversation between um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa and... Uh, filmmaker um, Ryusuke Hamaguchi there's interviews with the two main stars Koji Yakusho and Misato Hagiwara and then uh, an archival interview from 2003 with Kurosawa uh, and some trailers and I think there's a, a video essay on the Criterion channel anyway I'm not sure if that's on the disc or not looking at the Looking at the list here, it looks like there's maybe a written essay, but I'm not sure if that video essay is on there.
1: Hmm. Uh, I I did watch them, and I I yep. like that the video essay was really good. Um, yep. So if anybody wants to check out a good video essay, it's a, it's a solidly designed and thoughtful one um, that I I really would recommend. The interviews are pretty standard stock, you know. It's kind of interesting to to hear some of the memories about making it or how people met one another and kind of got going on it, but nothing that's really particularly profound, you know, or a really wow to, to learn from them. But that video essay uh, is very, very, very worth your time.
0: All right, Nate. So Cure, does it belong in the Criterion Collection? Yes, I think uh, for a couple of reasons.
1: Obviously, it's an extremely good film. Uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa is, I, I think... Um, like you said, uh, sometimes called the Japanese David Cronenberg, right? Uh, so he's he's a director that has some import that I think is means you'd want to maybe represent his his work in the collection, but also just this this little run of uh, Japanese horror that started really kicked off here and then continued on with things like Ringu and the Grudge. Uh, had a real impact on not just Japanese cinema, but world cinema. And obviously that like we made reference to, uh, led to some American remakes, uh, coming out in the early two thousands. So I think that this definitely would be considered, I think, an important film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he convinced me there. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say no, actually, but I like the film a lot. I think it's a very good film I was struggling to kind of, you know, make the the checklist, the criterion checklist, work against this film. But the way the way you framed it has convinced me because I'd like to include it. So I'll say yes. I mean, I, I think the reasons you cited are, are worthwhile, and, and and yeah, there was sort of this run of Japanese horror that seemed to make an impact um, internationally. I mean, not just in American cinema, but I think internationally as well. And, and probably worth recognizing that, um, that sort of moment in, in cinema history in relation to this film. All right, well, thanks for, for listening to our conversation this evening. Our next discussion will be on Christopher Nolan's Following, which will be released in February. Thanks again, and keep collecting.